but the weight is only a part of it. The peace of mind that I have every single day. I'm clear-headed, I have clarity, I can do a job, I can focus on other people. It's incredible the serenity that you get around food addiction once that's gone and the ability that opens up your life. Food Addiction is a podcast which explores the disease of food addiction and presents the solution. We interview professionals and counselors who specialize in the disease of food addiction, and we interview individuals who have successfully recovered from food addiction and discuss how they did it. Esther Helga goodmans Dotier was motivated to change careers after she recovered from food addiction by opening a food addiction treatment center and the INFACT School, the world's first and only sugar and food addiction counseling training, which offers a recognized certification. Check out the website for more information on obtaining this certification, as well as proven recovery programs at infactschool.com. Listen to these episodes as we discuss the problem and the solution around food addiction. I'm Susan Branscombe, and I am a recovered food addict and the host of this podcast, Food Addiction, The Problem and the Solution, sponsored by the Infact School. Today on the podcast, our guest is a recovered food addict, Colleen Y. Welcome, Colleen. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's great. I, I heard about your story. I've read about your story, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with our uh, with our listeners. We're going to talk about your story and how you found recovery from food addiction. I understand you became abstinent at 55 years old in 2018 when you joined a 12-step food recovery program. So talk about that and what brought you into recovery. Yes, it was late getting into. I had never heard of any 12-step recovery programs. I had never heard about food addiction. I was just a person who thought I had a moral issue that I needed to diet, that I didn't have willpower, that that was the only way that I could overcome the excess weight. And I was getting up there. I was, you know, 250. I was up to 300 pounds when I finally went into the rooms. So up until that point, I just thought that I I just had no willpower. So, but it got to the point where all I could do was think about the food. I could not function unless I was thinking about food. So that's what brought me into the rooms. Talk about um, you. You got into recovery when you realized that that you needed help in this way, and then you relapsed after two months. What happened there? Well, actually, it was after five years. I was in I was in the program for five years. So for the first two years um, following the program, I was good. I followed it. I lost weight. I was working the steps in the program. Uh, but then I thought I didn't need it anymore, that I knew what I was doing and slowly started deviating from the program to the point where I, I left it and just started doing diets again. And uh, the weight started creeping back on. And But I was still not eating uh, the sugar flour wheat. So that's what I considered as still being abstinent. Uh, but the weight came on. I was still eating high fat. And then finally, after five years, uh, I just couldn't white knuckle the diets anymore. And I relapsed. And in that two months that I relapsed, I gained over 25 pounds and uh, really came to believe that I had a serious problem with food addiction. I just could not function at all over that two months. And uh, I just did not want to live anymore. I just did not want to wake up in the morning. It was, it was a brutal experience for two months. Yeah, for critical level food addicts, uh, some of us can get suicidal, you know, where we just can't see a way out mm-hmm. and that we're always going to suffer from this and food controls our lives. Yeah. I, I prayed every night that I wouldn't wake up in the morning that, and that was the thing. And then I, then I'd be so devastated that I had another day in this disease and that somehow I mm-hmm. had to function. Yeah. So talk about this history then you, you got into recovery five years doing well, lost weight, then you relapsed. What? Tell me about the weight that went off and came back on. You said you gained 25 pounds. You got up to 300, but you were, were you close to maintenance weight uh, during that five years? I had never been a normal weight my entire life. Never. So um, I got close. I had lost, um, by this point, I started at 300. So I was probably down to like 170. 
which was just absolutely new territory for me. Uh, then I gained some weight back, but then I knew I could not get abstinent on my own. I, it didn't matter what I did, I could not keep it. So I tried to go to Renaissance. And Renaissance was running um, an outpatient program, and I signed up for that. And then just before they were going to run it, they contacted me and said that they, they weren't prepared to run it anymore. And I was devastated. I ended up getting in touch with Dr. Vera Tarman, who uh, is a director at Renaissance, and she told me about... Um, in fact, was going to run their intensive for their students. And Esther usually does it in Iceland, but this time she was actually doing it in Ontario, where I'm from. So it's like three hours away from me, I had this opportunity. So I jumped at it and, uh, and I went and did that intensive where uh, Esther Helga had um, Amanda from Shift come in and run and run the intensive. And it was mind altering. It changed everything about the way that I looked at food addiction. Totally, totally opened my eyes. Yeah. We're going to talk about that, but just to kind of backtrack here a little bit, Dr. Vera Tarman was a guest on the podcast. She was a great guest. And I know that they had the food addiction treatment center at Renaissance uh, and then they discontinued it. And it's good that she put you in touch with, uh, Esther Helga Goodman-Stotier, who is, in fact, school owns this podcast. I'm, I host guests for her. And then, of course, uh, Acorn Shift, now called Shift, which is Amanda Leith. We've hosted her, too, and she was an excellent guest. And just um, we're going to talk about your work there. Um, I did the Shift Intensive in May of 2019, right after um, – Amanda had just purchased it from Phil Wardell and Mary Fushi. So I know Amanda and uh, I saw what went on in shift. And so tell me the click and tell me what happened. You you go through the program and uh, you found abstinence there. You've been abstinent ever since. What happened? I was put on a food plan that was more stringent than the one that, that I had been on previously, and I really needed it. I thought that being abstinent from sugar, flour, wheat was going to be enough, and it wasn't. Um, so I got into weighing and measuring my meals. Um, I got into uh, working the 12 steps and really working because the shift intensive really focuses on step one, powerlessness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and being around women, um with similar issues as me with food addiction, I found um, a family of women that I had never experienced before and that I realized I was really missing. I was, I was lonely. Uh, So that really helped me a lot. And then um, getting set up with a sponsor, someone who um, I could really rely on and really supported Mm -hmm. me in the beginning of my journey those are all critical to me um, staying in recovery and working and staying with the abstinent food program. Without that mm-hmm. extra support, there's there's no way I could have uh, kept going. And I was able to, over the next, well, it'll be four years now, coming up um, at the end of this month, that I've been continuously abstinent. Um, I've lost 150 pounds total. And uh, I've had no problem keeping it off. And it's still fascinating to me that the clothes fit from season to season. That has never happened to me <laughs> in my life before. <laughs> that I can go to the drawer and, and pick up clothes from last summer and they still fit. I know. That blows me away because I'm like you. I was uh, on and off diets my whole life. And I'm like, okay, these size 18s fit. And, and so you know, whatever fits, whatever's black and makes me look somewhat thin uh, or thinner. Uh, But yeah, it is really wonderful. It saves on the clothes budget too, you know, year after year to be able to pick out and know that you look good in it. You know, you look, you look healthy. And even to go past my reflection, whether it's a reflection in the, in a glass or, or a long mirror and take a double take and say, Oh, that is me. Because I'm yeah. not used to that. I mean, from the majority of my life, I was huge. Yeah. So every once in a while, it catches me by surprise that that's really yeah, me. wonderful. Um, so y- you get into shift, you learn the the tools, uh, what we call the tools, which is, 
you know, the logistics of the program, I'd call it, uh, which is, uh, you know, you, you first, you, well, first you realize that you're powerless. That's kind of like, okay, I've, I'm at the end. I, I realize that I can't control this. Tell me what to do. And they do. They tell you what to do in shift uh, intensive and the weighing and the measuring of the food, getting sugar uh, for some people, getting flour out, getting trigger foods. I know at shift, I listed all the, all the foods I'd ever binged on. And my list was about 35 foods. You probably did the same thing, right? The list. I did, yes. How many did you have? Oh, gosh. Um, there, there were so many, so many foods. Uh, and I still encourage my sponsees now to fill out that, that same list because not only yeah. do I want to know what foods that are not good for me that will cause a trigger, but I also like to be able to look at that list and see what foods I can eat, which is a really good part of that of that process too. So I can see the foods that I no longer can eat, but then if I get bored or I think I'm being deprived in some way, which I never am, I can look at that list and see, no, you have so many things that you can eat. You're eating real food, not the processed crap that I had been consuming for decades. Right, right. Well, um, let's talk about uh, some of the recovery work that um, that you did there. But first, let's uh, talk about talk about your childhood. Uh, you, many of us, come in here, and we've had childhoods where, you know, it was not a supportive environment. It was a negative environment, perhaps aggressive, hostile. And um, as children, it sounds like you were like me, used food to cope with it. And it kind of helped us survive, you know, what was going on. So talk about some of the things that you faced in your childhood that you think may have contributed to your food addiction. My, uh, my father was an alcoholic. He would drink on Friday and Saturday night and be able to stay sober so that he could work through the week. Um, mm. And it was terrifying. He was a mean drunk. Uh, he would drink heavily on Friday and Saturday and come home and be verbally abusive, never physically, but verbally abusive. And there was mm. always the fear. Like we didn't know who we were going to get when he came home. Right. Um, so being, being the girl in the family from a very strict upbringing, I was not allowed to go out in the evening. So I had to stay home and listen to, to what was going mm. on. Yeah. And I did cope with food. And eventually my mother started drinking as well. But she was not a weekend drunk. She was a chronic alcoholic and she drank all the time and would disappear for periods of a time. And, and it was very difficult. Um, and I turned to food, but but I didn't realize that's what I was doing until I got into recovery myself. And I just always vowed that I would never be an alcoholic like my parents. I would never do that to my children. Mm -hmm. I would never live that life. And then realizing that I did exactly what they did, except I did it with food. Yeah. And that was my, my means of coping. And at the time it's what got me through. If I didn't have the food and, um, the opportunity to find some comfort in the food, I have no idea where I where I would have been in my in my childhood in my teen years. Yeah. I I agree with that. I mean my dad would be drunk and be mean and uh, even when he was sober and coming off a bender, he would be he would be mean. And so we were just kind of like tiptoeing around not to set him off, you know. Um, and that's not a good way to live. My mother was emotionally checked out. So yeah, it's, you know, was not an ideal um, by any means uh, environment for a child to grow up in, yours or mine. And so we used food to help us feel better and it worked. And it sounds like you were, you were talking about uh, being, you know, you were in school athletics and you're, you're, you were weighed 50 pounds more than your teammates in, in college. And so you were carrying extra weight. Talk about that. I always carried extra weight. I was always the the bigger kid. Yeah. And um, there was actually one year, I think it was like I was in grade seven and we had the school picture and it was the one year that I was closest to being a normal weight. And I really wanted that picture. And my mother gave me the $7 that uh, I needed to purchase it. And I spent it on junk food. I never bought the picture yeah. because I, I could not go without having this junk food. So even though I wanted it and I thought I looked the best, I could not 
get that money to the school and able to get to get the picture. I had to buy my junk food. And then um, as I got into high school, the weight started creeping up. But thankfully, I was athletic. I did join school teams. And that helped to keep the weight down with all the practices and the games, etc. But um, I was still wearing the largest uniform size that we had. And I was always terrified that I'd split the pants or the shorts, you know, playing oh, those games yeah. and, and always hearing uh, the away team taunting me about the size that I was, you know, how could this fat girl be playing basketball and volleyball? And uh, so I, I'd hear all of that. And but I was still okay because I was able to fit in with the, with the cool kids, with the athletic kids. But once I got into college yeah. and I wasn't on those teams anymore, the weight came on so fast. Plus I had some of my own money. I was working and, and uh, I was able to just spend on whatever I wanted. And it was always on the food, always on the food. So I gained quite a bit of weight quickly once I got into college. Yeah, yeah, that you weren't exercising as much. Well, we've, as food addicts, uh, we've got plenty of um, ways in which stories that, and how we used food, which is not how normal eaters uh, eat food. Uh, talk about some stories that you can remember about how you used food and, um, and any kind of shame around it or lies that, that you told. Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember during during my relapse um i i just could not control myself and i would fantasize all day about going to dairy queen after work i thought i would just do one thing i would just go one time and i'd go to dairy queen so i went to dairy queen and uh i ordered a medium blizzard because i thought if i ordered a large one the the people would think that i was you know a pig or something but i got all these extra things put in it and i sat down and I ate my blizzard, but I felt so uncomfortable. I thought people were watching me. So the next day, I'm still at work, and I'm thinking, geez, I would really like another one. So it wasn't that one-time shot. And I went back, and I thought, okay, I'll get the medium one again, but I'll eat it in my car driving home. Because I didn't want my family to think, you know, she's out binging. That's why she's home late from work. And it was a mess. There was ice cream everywhere on the steering wheel, on my fingers. And then I had to worry about getting rid of the containers because I couldn't leave it in the car. Yeah. So I had to stop in at a little mall and I threw everything away and I'm licking my fingers, get home and say, oh yeah, I got stuck at work. That's why I'm late. The next day, fantasizing again. And I go to Dairy Queen. And at this point, I'm thinking it doesn't matter if I'm late or I'm not late. I got my blizzard and I ate it in the car. And I stayed in the parking lot and ate it. And every day after that, I kept going back to Dairy Queen because I couldn't, I couldn't stop. And then it went from just yeah. going to Dairy Queen to planning binges. What was I going to eat? I'd plan the route about where I would go to make sure I picked everything up. I'd eat it in the car and then I'd always make sure that I had something that was a full box. So if I had gotten donuts, I'd make sure that I had a full box of donuts to take home to show the people, look, look what I bought for you, but then end up eating the majority of it myself anyway. But it was it, the shame and the embarrassment, like thinking I had to get rid of all of the containers and the packages if I binged at home like I couldn't keep them in our garbage I had to put them in a neighbor's garbage mm -hmm. um, right it was just it was just the thoughts and the obsessions it was just overwhelming yeah it, it's really awful to not be able to control you know what you're eating and wanting to control it but thinking about it all day like what you're going to do you know to kind of feed the addiction you know, and um, we hide this stuff. I used to stop at convenience stores and, and get Reese cups and chips and things, eat them in the car and then find a trash can on the way home. But as we know, we wear this disease. Mm -hmm. You know, you were carrying 150 pounds. It's pretty clear to everyone that we're eating more than our bodies need. But still, we feel embarrassed when people are, are watching us do it. Absolutely. I, I remember being at work and my boss had um, a large container of mixed nuts for everybody in the office. And um, I was just starting the relapse and trying very hard not to eat because I really did not want to continue 
and I would go in there and I'd pick out a cashew and I'd eat the cashew quickly, run back to my desk. And then I'd think about that cashew and then go back into the kitchen, take a couple more. But the whole time I'm looking over my shoulder to see if a coworker is going to come in. And then I'd eat those really fast and then go back to my desk to the point where I couldn't even concentrate on my work. All I was thinking about were, were the cashews. And then by the next day, it's like it's not just the cashews, it's going to be more. And by the end of the week, I'd eaten the entire container and just shoving them down, like with my cheeks, like a chipmunk, just shoving it down and trying to chew as quickly as I could, because I did not want anyone to come in and see me. I was just so embarrassed mm -hmm. by these binges. Yeah. I mean, we, we learn when we're in recovery that we are different as addicts uh, and, and with food, where food, uh, once we ingest it, something sugary, something like cashews or something kind of trigger food, chips and salsa, pizza for me, you know, that that we just want more and more and more of it. And it triggers a dopamine response, a physical mm -hmm. allergy, a physical response. And then once we get it, our minds then continue to just obsessively think about it. And then we're not happy until we start eating it again. So it's this vicious cycle. And we don't want to do it. No, right? no, absolutely. And I'm miserable the entire time I'm eating it. I'm not enjoying it. There's no enjoyment in the food no. whatsoever. It's just, it's just such a need that I need to have it. And yeah, you have to do it. I have to do it. Yeah. I have no choice whatsoever. Yeah. I'm going to give, uh, give a couple of quotes uh, from your writing that are really pretty profound. And then we're going to talk about some of the recovery work you did at, at Shift. You say, food was my friend, my lover my companion. I could always rely on food to be there and comfort me when I had no one to turn to. And you said, food helped me to feel calm, normal, accepted, loved, and enough. I was raised to not show anger, to be seen and not heard. A woman's place is in the home, raising a family and obeying the husband. I felt my purpose was to take care of others and not consider the cost to myself. There were decades of repressed anger and resentment, and I used food to help me cope with all of life's ups and downs. So, yeah, food's our friend. It's the thing that doesn't argue back, you know, it's we can rely on it, right? And it works. I, I had no idea how angry I was through all of that. And it was only in recovery and working the steps and coming to see um, what my life was like that I was able to start doing some of that recovery work because that's why I went to the food, all this emotional. So yeah. I just thought I was an emotional eater. We'd, we'd hear about it so often in magazines and television. You know, you see the, the girl that had the breakup and you'd see her eating that pint of ice cream and it, it was normalized that that's what you did when you had yeah. extreme emotions that it was okay to go to food. So I didn't realize until I did get into recovery and learn about food addiction that there was something different about me specifically when it came to food, that this was not really normal. I knew that the way I ate was not normal, but I didn't know why it wasn't normal. I, I just kept thinking I had a lack of willpower, that I just could not do what other people could do. So I kept beating myself up because I couldn't do it. Yeah, talk about the anger and resentment. So you you probably didn't realize you were angry of of all the years of things that ha had occurred with you. And it, I would assume that in shift with some of the emotional work they do there that you found out, yeah, I'm angry. I've got resentment. How did you get in touch with that and how did you work through it? Well, the first intensive I went to that was um, Esther's intensive led by uh, Amanda at shift on the first day, she asked me how I was feeling. And I totally blanked out. I had no idea what I was feeling. I'd never tapped into emotions at all. So she literally had to list, are you happy? Are you sad? Are you angry? And I, and I thought, what does that mean? And then I thought, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sad. And then the anger. Then when I really started tapping into the anger, that's what really bubbled up because I never had an opportunity to explore any of that anger. It was always shoved down, especially with the food, because I wasn't allowed to speak about it. So that was really very instrumental 
but uh, it, it still took Amanda repeating over and over again different emotions that it was possible to have before I could relate mm-hmm. to actually having those emotions. Yeah. What did you find that you were angry about? I was angry about a lot. I was angry at myself for putting up with so much. I'm very codependent. So I put up with a lot of stuff. I always put uh, my family, my friends, my job, everything went first before me. Uh, But I was also angry with my parents. I was angry with my spouse. I was angry with employers. I was just one really angry person. (laughs) And I never (laughs) realized it (laughs) until I got into recovery. I thought I was a martyr. I thought I was self-sacrificing to do for everyone else when in fact it was, I just wanted them to do what I wanted them to do. I wanted to control them so I didn't have emotion. Yeah. If you did what I, what I told you to do, I wouldn't get upset. I wouldn't have to eat this food. Right. You're the reason I'm eating all of this stuff because I'm an emotional eater. So understanding that it was this anger and this resentment that I had really opened my eyes to see that I was the problem. I was the problem. Mm -hmm. The food was the solution, but I was the problem. Right. Yeah. And we realized that we have to take responsibility for how we want to be and how we want to live. And it's not other people. We have a responsibility to really, truly love ourselves, right? And, and treat ourselves with respect and, and, um, yeah, I mean, you. it sounds like your childhood was similar to mine in that I wasn't encouraged to feel my emotions. If I felt emotions, I was encouraged to work harder, you know, just ignore them, they'll go away. And so even today, I have to list out emotions and, and really get in touch with how I'm feeling because sometimes I can still get off track and not really, really feel. And, and uh, when I do feel I have to process it, you know, which is the stuff I used to use food over. Exactly. Like I do a nightly check-in and part of my nightly check-in, I list the emotions I had during the day, but I still need a cheat sheet. Mm-hmm. I keep a sheet next to me yeah. to try and help me understand what these emotions are because I often don't realize and doing this nightly check-in has been really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. And as we work the program, when we have people that work this the 12-step recovery and in this program, sponsors and whatnot, um, they help us see us ourselves Absolutely. and reflect back what they're hearing. So it's not just us. It's, and it's not just, you know, spiritual higher power. It's other people saying, here's what I'm hearing, Susan. Y- you know, you can't write that email. <laughs> y- you know, you-, you can't control your daughter, your son. Exactly. I remember my first sponsor after the relapse was very instrumental for me when, when she said that, you know, you do not have the choice of who you are loving and kind to. Mm. Because I really struggled. You know, I, I wanted to hold on to some of those resentments. They, they, I thought they still served me. But when it came down to it, I could not have a life that I wanted to live, hold on to those resentments. And her saying that I don't have the right to choose who I am loving and kind to, I need to be loving and kind to everyone, Yeah, really helped me a lot to, uh, to realize that um, I needed to change. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's just a whole new way to live. Um, but let's, um, before we get into your recovery, um, you know, I had a bottom, uh, and, and I'd like to talk about your bottom where I was really, I can still have, I have a video in my head of eating fudge, standing in a kitchen by myself and just realizing that this is what my life was, you know, weighing 200 pounds, not being able to stop once I started, and just thought, I am going to, this is going to be my life unless I have a change. And I just, in that moment, I thought that's not the way I want to live. So tell me about your bottom and when you just really sort of, I, I see it as being rescuing ourselves, caring and loving ourselves enough to rescue us. Yeah. Um, so about nine years ago, when I was 55 years old, I was 300 pounds and I was miserable. Didn't want to live anymore. A couple of years prior to that, I had spent $16,000 to have a lap band put in to, to try to help me lose the weight because I was always using outside sources. And it didn't work. It made my life miserable. Uh, I couldn't eat properly and I gained weight 
having the lap band in. So I was absolutely out of answers. I, I had no idea what else I could possibly do to try to get this weight off. And uh, I would come home from work um, and then I would spend maybe a few minutes with my family. I had three children, husband, and all I wanted to do was to get into my room as soon as possible. And I would change into pajamas. I would have my binge food and I would watch television. And I usually had every night a giant Costco sized bag of the Chicago mixed popcorn. So it had everything in it. It had the savory, it had the sweet, it had the crunchy, it had the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Salty. Yep. And then, but eating too much of that, it really tears up your tongue. Like your whole mouth gets destroyed eating this stuff. So then I'd have to take a break and eat something that was softer, smoother, that could soothe my mouth. And But then I'd go right back to the food. And because I had the lap band in, I could only eat so much, which would cause vomiting. Then I'd go back to bed and start eating all over again. And this one night, I finally uh, said a prayer to my parents who were then deceased. And I said, you know, mom and dad, I, I can't do this. I just can't live like this anymore. I, I really need help. And the next night I'm back in bed and I'm doing the same thing all over again. And I'm watching television. I'm, I'm changing stations and a local cable show comes on and nobody watches local cable. But I noticed that there was a banner that talked about food addiction. So it caught my eye. And there was Dr. Vera Tarman speaking to a gentleman about food addiction and his recovery from food addiction. Um, I listened but it made no, I thought, oh, that's interesting. Kept, kept binging. So the next night, again, I'm in bed doing exactly the same thing, changing the channels and doesn't the same show come on, but from the beginning. And I watched the entire mm. thing and I heard him mention where he, uh, what 12 step program he went to. And, you know, I consider that a God shot because in our traditions, we don't do that. So, so I was able to look up what program he went to. And uh, that weekend, I thought, I'm going to go. And I sent an email to this gentleman and asked them if the meeting was still going to be on because it was a long weekend and it was on a Saturday. And he said, yes, would you like me to call you? And I said, oh, no, it's like, no way. I'm not having anybody call me in case I don't want to commit to anything. But I ended up going and I got lost getting there, but I still kept going. And that's not my nature. I would have given up usually. So I did go in and I sat down at that meeting. There were about 12, 10 people around the table. And this particular program uses the Case Shepherd books about food addiction. And they started reading from the Case Shepherd book and I cried. I finally heard what was going on for me about addiction and that it was a disease and it wasn't my fault. Oh gosh, to hear that it wasn't my fault. And I cried, I cried through the whole meeting and I, I purchased the books and I read the books and I binged on the way home. I still went to drive through, but I went back the next week and I cried again and listened to more people and had people call me. And then the next week I went back, I cried some more, but then decided that this was it. This was the time that I could follow this program because the K Shepherd uh, comes with a food plan. And my husband and I literally cleaned out the house. We had two huge garbage bags full of foods that contain sugar, flour, and wheat. And we got rid of those. And then that started, that started the journey to recovery. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, let's, let's go into recovery. Um, Use a 12-step program at Shift, uh, the recovery program, foodaddiction.com is the website. We learn that uh, to look at food differently, and uh, we learn that we need to get abstinent from sugar and trigger foods, and we, we process the emotions and the things that are going on that have caused us to go to food. Um, but talk about what what changed in Shift. Uh, did the cravings and withdrawal you faced, uh, was that... How long did that last? Or I, I assume you had cravings and withdrawal there? Yeah, absolutely. The The cravings and the withdrawal lasted, I would say, two to three weeks. So I no longer had the substances in my system. So it wasn't, a, it wasn't um, due to having the food in me that, that caused me any mental grief about the food. It was habits 
because I always assumed if I'm doing this, then I need to eat this. So it was that kind of thing. And I still had to think about food because I still had to shop for it and prepare it and cook it and, and know what I was going to eat. So initially for the first couple months, there was a lot of, of um, intense work to be able to put the food down and get into the habit of eating this way. But after that, uh, I got into the, to the groove of the food, then life became much easier, but I still had emotions. Now that the food was down, I felt everything better. I felt anger better, happiness better, resentment better. So I had to learn how to deal with all of these emotions. And that's what shift really helped me with. So I was able to go to another intensive in Florida three months after I did the original one. And Amanda and Phil Wardell helped me to process emotions and to discover emotions that, you know, to feel things, to legitimately feel anger and sadness and to cry. Uh, and it was very, very helpful and just reinforced my recovery. And then I had opportunities to go to shift three days where alumni get to go and work together for three days and, and, and do this process work so that we can have issues, bring them to the group and have them worked on and get feedback, which is so important to hear from the counselors and to hear from, from my peers. Uh, they're telling me things that I couldn't see in myself. So everything just kind of grew on the next. And uh, it's been really, really valuable to keep working on myself, to do codependency courses and to keep, keep doing 12 step work so that I can keep developing. I never want to be able to go back and be that person that I was. I enjoy the way that I live now. That sounds wonderful. And, you know, when, when we were feeling emotions and we would use food, it's like, oh, I'm feeling an emotion. I need to eat something just to repress it so you don't have to feel it. Mm -hmm. But when we put the food down, then it's like, okay, these emotions are right here. I got to deal with them. How do I deal with them? I talk to people. I write about it. I pray about it. Um, so it's a different way to work through things that come up. It's not like my life's going to be perfect now that I'm at a good weight. We know that's not true. Absolutely. The last year and a half has been extremely emotional for me. I was married 41 years and then went through a separation. And uh, not once did I think about picking up food through any of that. You know, we, we sold the marital home that we lived in for 34 years. And I'm living on my own for the first time in my life. I went from my father's house to my husband's house. And I never lived on my own. So here I am, I'm going to be 65 in a couple of months. And it's the first time I've lived on my own. It's, it's a totally different life than I ever thought that I would lead. But it is so free. And it's just, um, it's something I wouldn't want anyone to miss. Right. And it sounds like, you know, 41 year marriage, that's a long time. That's how long I've been married to my husband. I mean, that's a long time. And I would think that uh, I would assume that in your recovery, you realize that, yeah, this marriage isn't working. I need to make a change. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right? So it was a benefit of recovery. Absolutely. I kept staying with it, thinking that um, it was what I had to do. I made a vow. It was something I had to do. And I had been unhappy for a long time. Uh, but going through recovery and working the steps and having a lot of support, a lot of support, I was able to um, say what I needed to say. And it was a breakup that was loving and kind by both of us because we understood that this was something that, that needed to be done. I, I love him. I absolutely love him. He is like my best friend. And uh, I have a better relationship with him now that we're not together living in the same place than when we were. I can look at him now and appreciate all of him, whereas before all I had was resentment. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I love hearing that uh, for you. Um, it sounds like it's working out. And it really, you know, I've lived with my husband a long time. I think I could live alone. But um, yeah, I mean, you're it just it, I just see the recovery in your in your face. Uh, and, and in 12 uh, step recovery, we often are presented with the opportunity to develop a stronger spiritual life. 
And some people think 12 step recovery is, you know, you're talking about God all the time. What's a higher power? What if I don't believe in God? And, and there are, there are, um, you know, provisions available to people who don't, don't believe in a traditional God. Um, so talk about your spiritual life and how that changed. Uh, the first time I got recovery, the first five years, I really didn't have a strong spiritual life. I really did not believe in a higher power. I said the words because I thought that's what people wanted to hear. But it was now I can see because I did not have strong spiritual uh, connection, that's why I relapsed. I, I had nothing else to turn to. I was doing this all on my own. And when I got back into recovery, uh, I realized I had to have a very strong higher power, some, someone, something that I had absolute faith and trust in. And it took me a little while to come up with what I needed. And one of the assignments that was given to me by a sponsor was, you know, write out the, the, the assets that you would want your higher power to have. Like, really, what, what do you want in a higher power? And I'm writing all of these wonderful characteristics out and it all of a sudden it dawned on me that that was my nanny my grandmother and from that connection i was able then to think and imagine what i needed this higher power to be and it was just love it was just love and comfort and hugs and and this sense of warmth and um that i could do nothing wrong that I would always be forgiven. And that helped me to start on a spiritual journey that I really spend time every day developing. I, I have such faith and trust in a higher power now that, that I know that things don't just happen by coincidence. Not the way my life has been, especially in the last two years. I am definitely guided. And I am just so grateful that people have been put in my life that have helped me tremendously on my journey in the last two years, that there's no way I could have manufactured any of this on my own. So it's just having the willingness to believe that there is something mm -hmm. there that is much greater than me. I don't have to call it God if I don't want to. Uh, but it's just this sense of being taken care of that has helped yeah, me so yeah. much. And, and I have this yearning to find out more. And I do a lot of reading. I, I listen to podcasts. I take different workshops just to help with my connection with my higher power to enrich it so that yeah. um, it never stagnates. Right. Yeah. I have the same experience that I know I'm not alone when I meditate. I know that there is some force out there looking out for me and guiding my life and I can't explain it always. Um, and, but I still have faith. There are people that they're, popes and people in the Catholic religion that, that question their faith sometimes, but you have to get back to having faith. And I think your experience with, you know, being in your pajamas and looking at the television two nights in a row and seeing, you know, a solution that was presented before you is not an accident. It's not a coincidence. And I think you see that. You called it a God shot. Yeah, I mean, God shot. those are things that happen that we can't explain but it led you to this path. Absolutely. You know, is it odd or is it God? And, and I firmly believe that. And, and doing gratitudes every single day um, helps me to realize that I have nothing to do with this. This, this has all been given to me. Well, talk about uh, uh, emotional sobriety. We talk about uh, this, this program and uh, there are what are called dry drunks. You know, yeah, you're, you're sober, you're not eating, but you're not happy. You're not grounded. You're not peaceful. You're not serene. Uh, how do you, what would you say about emotional sobriety as it relates to you? Well, I did not have emotional sobriety when, uh, when the first five years that I got abstinent, that's why I was miserable. I kept trying to do it on my own. And uh, I was a dry drunk. Absolutely. I was white knuckling everything again. And I just couldn't do it just like for all the decades prior to that. Uh, so this time around, emotional sobriety, I know, has to be uppermost in my mind. I know that if, if I start thinking about food, then I know there's something wrong with my spiritual program, that there's a deficit there somewhere. If, if smells all of a sudden, I'm noticing a food smell that I never noticed before, there's something wrong with my spiritual program, that I need something's missing. Did I not go to a meeting? Did I not make a phone call today? 
whatever it is, there is something missing in my program that I need to evaluate again and, uh, and bring that back up. Because right now I have strong neutrality around food. I can serve it. I can, I can be around it. I go to restaurants. I do all kinds of things. So food really is a non-issue for me now. I enjoy the food that I eat. It's, you know, I've got it to a point where it's pretty simple, uh, but I enjoy it tremendously. So if something is off whack, if I notice food, anything, then I know that it's a problem with me and, and something mm-hmm. definitely needs to be addressed at that point. So you were at 300 pounds. Uh, are you at your maintenance weight at this point? Well, I don't have a scale anymore, a body scale. So, and my clothes fit. So part of my program used to be weighing myself every month, but I did not get a scale when I moved and I haven't purchased one yet and my clothes still fit. So I believe I am at the weight that my body wants me to be. I've stabilized at this weight, you know, at 150 pounds and, uh, I'm not going up. I'm not going down, at least not dramatically enough that my clothes don't fit. And I'm perfectly happy with that. I don't, I used to obsess about the scale. I used to weigh myself 20 times a day, you know, go to the bathroom and see what I weighed, eat something, see what I weighed. It was, it was part of the obsession with with the food and the weight. So now not even to think that I need to hop on a scale is a miracle in itself. Yeah, I in my program, I weigh myself once a week, every Friday morning, and I weighed myself this morning, and I weigh exactly what I've weighed for the last two months, you know, Mm -hmm. but it can affect my mind when I step on it. Like if I'm up a pound or down a pound, it can have the same sort of effect. So there are people in the programs that choose not to with the with their sponsors to not, um, to not weigh themselves Mm -hmm. and be perfectly okay with it. But so you're recovered, you're a recovered food addict. Um, what do you do on a daily basis to stay abstinent from eating addictively compulsively as an addict? Well, I wake up in the morning and I do my, my meditation, my prayers and my meditation. I, I read stuff every morning that helps me. If I don't do that in the morning and I just get up and my feet hit the floor and I start doing my day, I'm into myself. I need to have that prayer and meditation time in the morning to get grounded, to reconnect with my higher power and to know that this is not my life. This My life has been given over to my higher power and my job is to do service. Uh, so that's how I start the day. I do prayer and meditation throughout the day. I sponsor. So I take other people um, through the steps and I do outreach calls. Uh, I go to meetings. I Ever since the when the pandemic happened, it was a blessing to have Zoom and to have people all around the world to go to these different meetings. And it, that really helped my, my recovery. But then I realized I needed face-to-face. I needed contact with people. I needed to be able to hug someone or shake a hand or, you know, tell them that they're doing a really great job. So I was very fortunate that I found uh, another 12-step program that is not food related that would allow me to go to their meetings. And I go to three of those meetings face-to-face in a week. And it has just helped my recovery so much to be able to be of service um, and to see other people. It's a large meeting. You know, we get like over 100 people at this meeting. And it's just it's just a blessing to have to have the, that outlet and to help it um, with, with my recovery program. So there's always something. Every single day I'm doing something for recovery, whether that's making sure that I'm shopping and planning and cooking and have my, my meals ready. I, I do a lot of batch cooking, so there's stuff always in the freezer. Um, whether you know it's sharing my experience, strength, and hope with someone. Because when I first lost the weight, it was very noticeable to lose 150 pounds. People were always asking me, what did you do? How did you do it? You know, and they wanted that quick fix. What diet did you do? What pills did you take? So many people, of course, didn't like the idea of not eating sugar, flour, wheat, or whatever for the rest of their lives. They thought it was a terrible thing. Uh, but for me, it's such a blessing. I think what have I lost? I've lost the obsession to think about food all the time. I've, I've lost, thank you, God, this weight. But but the weight is only a part of it. The peace of mind that I have every single day 
uh, I'm, I'm clear headed. I have clarity. I can do a job. I can, I can focus on other people. It's, it's, it's incredible what the, uh, serenity that you get around food addiction once that's gone and the ability that opens up your life. Like all those hours I spent in my food addiction, the binging and the getting the food and the thinking about it has given me hours every single day to live my life. And I never lived before. I just existed. Yeah, now I just see it and I hear it in your your voice. And uh, yeah, you and I found this late in our lives, mm-hmm. uh, you know, relatively speaking, you know, in your 50s, I found it in my 50s too. I wish I'd found it earlier, but I didn't. And I don't have to say I don't eat sugar for the rest of my life. I do it one day at a time, as we know. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's worth it to, to have the freedom from the food uh, controlling us and having the food thoughts. It's just huge freedom. And I would not trade this, this uh, program for anything, the recovery, because we get to live this life, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm willing to do whatever I need to do to stay abstinent. And I do a lot of the same things you do every day. Yeah, there, there's no way I would, even if I could have a pill back then, that would take the weight off, but I'd still be living my life the way I was, with all that resentment and anger and being miserable. There's no, no, this recovery journey has been absolutely necessary. I, I was a food addict for all of those decades and miserable for a reason. I now can ex- can share my experience, strength, and hope. I can say to other people, you can do it when you're 50, 60, 70. You, you know, this is not the end of your life. It's, it's the beginning. This is just a new beginning to my life that I never thought was possible. Well, we really appreciate you sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us today. Um, it's an incredible story. Congratulations on just taking responsibility for your life and loving yourself enough to to be happy and free from this. Uh, So I I relate to a lot of, a lot of what you've said today. And I think this will be helpful to our listeners. I'm going to ask you one more question as we close out. What, what message would you give the still suffering food addict compulsive overeater from your experience? That there is hope that as many times as you may have tried to lose the weight or to get rid of the obsession, it is possible that there is hope out there. Mm-hmm. And it could be just hearing a phrase from someone or seeing someone that clicks. And I can't tell you when that click will happen, but it will happen. Just don't leave. Just keep trying. It will happen. And what is waiting for you on the other side is just a miracle that you could never, ever dream possible. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, I am uh, delighted to be on this journey with you and uh, sharing recovery with you. And again, thank you for being on the on the podcast. And uh, I think it's excellent. It's excellent. You're good at this. And uh, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Susan. Appreciate it. This is the Food Addiction Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and learned more about this disease. We hope you will rate and write a review on this podcast and share it with others. If you or someone you know is suffering from the disease of food addiction, there is a solution. The various food addiction recovery programs are available and listed on the website, theinfactschool.com. Or if you would like to know more about how to get certified in treating food addiction, the school is accepting applications now for its next training beginning in September 2023. Go to theinfactschool.com. That's I-N-F-A-C-T school.com to learn more.